Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, welcome back to The Boiling Point, everybody. And Dave, as always, so good to see your, your smiling face. Uh, how, how are things upriver? Good. The sun is shining. And uh, we it's were just, not having, here. We were just having a conversation about uh, haze and the um, smoke coming in from wildfires. And, and there was an interesting, like almost like a Japanese kind of style sun, red sun. Did you see it last night? It was wild. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty. And the night, the, the night before. Um, it's hard to believe this far out east that we're. Yeah, so like we're on the east coast of Canada and we are getting smoke from not only Ontario, but also British Columbia. And it's just incredible how uh, it's just a reminder of how connected we are. You know, uh, wind currents way, way up in the air. And, uh, you know, they, they float over. So does so, so smoke. And uh, I guess the, the nice part of that, it's, it's been producing some really nice sunsets. But uh, that's probably the only nice thing about it. And, uh, and our, our good friend uh, Lars is here as our guest today. And he's also uh, uh, experiencing a beautiful day in Toronto, uh, coming out of a couple of days of uh, awful smoke haze as well. So Lars, welcome to The Boiling Point, my friend. Thanks very much for having me, Greg and Dave. Uh, pleased, to, pleased to be here. And for, and for those who are uh, tuning in by listening on uh, wherever you listen to your, your podcasts, uh, Lars is actually on a lake right now with really beautiful leaves that are turning fall. And it kind of gives me that little bit of uh, anxious feeling that maybe summer is coming to a close. <laughs> just, just, just a virtual background. So uh, don't, oh, uh, good. Don't, good. don't fret too much. Don't fret too much. <laughs> so uh, Dave, um, Lars and I go back a little ways. Uh, Van City is uh, another rock star B Corp uh, company that started as a uh, community bank essentially uh and uh, correct me if i'm wrong uh, lars but now it's uh uh jumped heavily into uh, you know uh, investment banking and really funding projects uh, around climate change and sustainability uh technology that is uh really at the next uh, next level of you know taking our world into uh, a sustainable future but uh, so i don't completely destroy the uh the description of, uh, of of what you're doing uh uh, Lars, why, why, don't, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the Boiling Point community? Yeah, no, happy, happy to. So I, mean, I have the, the privilege to work with uh, Ben City Community Investment Bank, VCIB uh, for short, since the name is a mouthful. Uh, we're uh, really a national arm of uh, Ben City Credit Union. Um, BCIB is a Schedule One bank, so same kind of legal charter as the the big five or what have you, uh, but with a, a really unique mandate as Canada's first dedicated impact bank to exclusively finance clear opportunities of uh, social environmental benefit. We do that in a few major sectors, but we're you know, privileged to do that work on the, the back of uh, the history of our, of our parent uh, company, Vancity Credit Union, Vancouver-based and uh, kind of headquartered entity that uh, has actually been a really long-standing uh, uh, kind of credit union and, and community lender. Uh, it's actually the largest English credit union in the country, uh, so just behind Desjardins. Wow! Hey, you, you know what? Just um, you know, like I think it fits the you know, but I have this. I remember living in Vancouver, and a friend, 
I guess a kind of a friend of a friend. Anyway, she was describing um, applying for a job. I, I don't know. It was probably an entry level job, like um, Advanced City, and getting this wonderful uh, rejection letter. You know, but it was basically saying, well, you didn't make it, but you know, keep going. It was this really, and it stuck in my brain is like, what awesome uh, branding. <laughs> um, but it says I speaks. To, I think it speaks to the core values. You know, because uh, she, you know, she walked away disappointed not getting the role but she had this really good experience um, through the process and spoke very highly of the organization. And I just thought, you know what, not, not everyone's doing that. So anyways, I don't, maybe that's a normal, typical story, but that's just something that, that comes to, first came to mind. This happened like this 20 years ago, probably. <laughs> well, awesome. oh, glad, glad that there's some of that, uh, that positive history. Definitely uh, the institution has been on a, a, a long trajectory. It's been in its 75th year, but uh, particularly the last say 20 years or so, has really been trying to see more and more of its members' resources and just the way it operates in community, uh, kind of showing up for progressive community development and environmental sustainability in meaningful ways. And, and definitely uh, BCIB and our work is certainly an extension of that in, in trying to uh, act with similar values in a, in a kind of a commercial lending context. And uh, what, what sort of companies uh, are you typically uh, working with, partnering with and investing into because uh, it, it, it obviously there's a trajectory with uh, VCIB, but uh, just for our listeners' sake, what, what type of companies are you guys looking for? Yeah, so I mean, we operate. So we, we operate as a commercial uh, lender. What that means is we just don't have our, like a retail franchise outside of outside of British Columbia. Um, and practically, we're we're really active in a, in a few kind of main main sectors. So we, we do a lot of work in uh, what we call as this kind of umbrella of, of social purpose real estate. So everything from uh, affordable housing and co-ops and green buildings, not-for-profit shared spaces, you name it, uh, but any use of, of kind of real assets that's driving positive change. Uh, more recently, I've really uh, built out this practice in clean energy and sustainable infrastructure. Uh, and in those cases, you know, we're working with project developers uh, under a, a really fantastic range of technologies, uh, everything from, you know, solar on one hand to just recently, and, I, and apologies to listeners, as I always get this uh, a little bit garbled, but we recently financed the world's largest uh, wastewater heat recovery project uh, with, uh, with a local hospital here in Ontario. Um, and then more recently, I've been doing uh, really business lending for um, uh, mission-driven organizations. So we're actually pretty structured agnostic. We work with everyone from uh, B Corps and, and co-ops and nonprofits and charities to, to just for-profit companies that you know, hold their, their mission as a, as a kind of a core part of what they do. Um, and you know, in that case, we're really often providing like working capital. Um, so not, not straight up to startups. So usually, usually these are, are companies a little bit uh, later on in their journey. But definitely with uh, a, a bit more flexibility and kind of appetite to understand people's business model than you, you'd often see from a conventional bank. Would you say that the uh, the areas where you guys are focused, like it's probably such a niche in uh, in the global context of uh, of investment banking and and, and whatnot. But uh, I think about the big five. You say, and uh, um, they must be looking at watching guys like a hawk in a way, because. Um, like, do you think the others are paying attention to what you guys are, are seeding into? Um, or it, do you truly have, have this niche that you guys could potentially own in the, you know, in the whole country? 
Well, I, I'd, I'd like to think we could own it. I, I mean, certainly I think we're on a, a pathway to, to wanting to be, you know, the whole home bank of choice for, for mission-driven organizations, I would say. But but practically, yeah, I mean, and I, I mean this in a really positive way. I, I definitely think at a minimum uh, within, the, within the financial sector today, what you see is that everyone is starting to at least talk a similar talk, if not all actually kind of walking that talk yet. And, and so certainly on issues like climate, good example where you see like literally the last two years, all of a sudden the same institutions, which unfortunately still are kind of financing pretty carbon intensive infrastructure and a big part of what they do still um, are all uh, very much talking about either, you know, net zero by 2050 kind of lending commitments and or, uh, you know, really significant numbers, like hundreds of billion dollar commitments to uh, financing uh, what they, I mean, they often put it under a pretty vague umbrella, like sustainable finance. Um, and so, you know, I, I think what's what's interesting is the question of how does that kind of translate down to ground, right? How do you get from that, like, kind of C-suite level, you know, kind of visionary declaration down to the level of saying, okay, uh, who gets money, who doesn't, right? And why? Because um, ultimately that actually... Uh, has a huge, huge ramification on kind of just shaping the economy we're going to have, whether or not that's the broader innovation economy and and an entrepreneurial ecosystem, or e- even the you know the 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 capital intensive stuff around buildings and infrastructure and and uh, you know whether or not we kind of have that kind of lock in of of existing of existing infrastructure. How, how do you guys like? Does um, how does a company or an organization um, qualify? Like, is there you know, I mean, they, they might have, um, they may be able to show, here's how we're doing financially, but does it help to be a B Corp as an example? Um, you know, what, like, what are this, what is the criteria you might be looking for that would be different than a traditional lender? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, uh, Dave. I mean, and it's interesting. I mean, I had the, the kind of privilege over the last uh, year or so of, of co-chairing our internal, we call our impact management working group. And it, it really is kind of, you know, trying to address those questions, right? Um, there, there's some, you know, there's some ways where at least when it's been, you know, when it's been easier to do, I think there are some ways where we are doing the right things in trying to put our money where our mouth is in, in, in trying to reward uh, organizations for kind of holding those same values. So like concretely, and it's, it's a small example, but a real one, you know, uh, we, we launched a whole suite of corporate credit cards. And, and when we did that, we said, okay, if you're a B Corp, we're never going to charge you an annual fee for your credit card. Just like full stop, no annual fees on credit cards, right? Like those, those kind of simple things to do. At the same time, you know, more, more importantly, um, we, we really do actually try to look through this lens of like impact due diligence. So trying to say, okay, we're doing financial due diligence, we're regulated to do so, we have to do so, but uh, can we kind of take a, a similar lens that won't govern whether or not we'll lend to an organization because that, that's still ultimately gonna be uh, a kind of a financial credit risk decision. But can we at least determine whether an organization will qualify otherwise? And, and so just concretely, uh, there's a you know, somewhat different criteria across those lines of business I mentioned. But on the uh, business lending piece, you know, we, we really kind of try to boil the ocean down to some pretty simple parameters, which is to say, OK, if an organization is driving positive social environmental change, it's coming from one of a few sources, either it's embedded integrally in the product or service they deliver, right? It's just something about that product or service that is, is actually driving that impact so that every sale, you know, is, is kind of a net benefit for the world. Um, it's something to do with the way they're operating. So they might just, you know, I, I've got a coffee mug, right? Like it might just be 
we just make coffee mugs, but hey, uh, you know, we found ways to either be incredibly operationally efficient or uh, and that could be environmentally or socially. So like the way we operate ourselves uh, is, is really exemplary. And, in, and and often that is more in that kind of B Corp space, right? Where you see it's just, it's about the policy infrastructure and the way they're trying to behave. Uh, so it could be a living wage employer as an example. Um, or it has to do with the ownership uh, and it's saying, okay, you know, if an organization is gangbuster successful, excellent, right? And they're generating significant uh, profits and returns, where does that accrue to? Who, who is that helping? And, and so, you know, is that, you know, you could ask the question of, is that helping more marginalized communities or communities that have, you know, historically been more economically disenfranchised? Or is it going to uh, more more of the same? And so for us, you know, you can have actually a pretty conventional business, but if they happen to be, let's say, a, a, a BIPOC uh, entrepreneur, or maybe they're an indigenous uh, community, uh, that you know that that's of a difference too, and that's a, the way we see impact manifesting. So you know, you don't have to be a unicorn and do all of those things, <laughs> but you uh, if you're doing one of those things or some combination within those, right? That then uh, that's certainly a really good fit for us. Where do, where do you think the, uh, the, the, the spirit, uh, you know, of that, you know, ethos uh, comes from, uh, Lars? You know, the, the credit union movement across the world really is, you know, by nature, community-based and, and caring mm-hmm. about things that other financial institutions might not be focused on. But, you know, it, it's, Van City seems special. Like, there, there, there's something else going on. And uh, is that from the founding, you know, boards? Or like, how, how, how did this, how did the story happen that, that you guys are doing what you're doing right now? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And, and I mean, I, I know that there's a book in there somewhere <laughs> that uh, either has been written and I haven't read it yet or, or will be, you know, but uh, not, not by me. But in any case, um, yeah, I mean, I think Van City's been on a really uh, interesting trajectory. Uh, and I think you're right that, you know, definitely that community development ethos is a huge part of uh, of many credit unions and, and many credit unions history in particular. We're, we're privileged to be a member of this network globally called the uh, Global Alliance for Banking on Values. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's, it's groups out of Latin America, Africa, Europe, you know, it's truly a global network. And... Uh, what's what's fascinating in that is you know not all of them are credit unions a good proportion are but you know some of them are actually also just private banks um, but you do see this kind of consistency of of folks that have really kind of sought to maintain some accountability to a a, a you know a specific group of stakeholders or or, or 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 community and so I think for for Man City's part it's been interesting because. On one hand, they they grew as a credit union pretty substantially, as I mentioned, but didn't actually really grow a lot really through uh, significant mergers and acquisitions. So they kind of stayed pretty like geographically based to the lower mainland, Vancouver Island. So you know, it's, it's kind of a fairly specific area. And I do think that's been a big influence. I actually think that kind of through that, it's led to this you know, greater sense of uh, democratic control and, and, and kind of accountability to that membership that's meant that there's this pathway, and, I, and I'm not going to I'm not going to pick on anyone. I'm not going to call anyone out, but but definitely you do see this this uh, under the competitive forces of the market. You do see a lot of credit unions that kind of feel like they have to get they have to either get big or get out. And in that process of getting big, they start to look and feel like banks that kind of happen to be member owned. It's in the background. It's not in the foreground. And uh, I think it's rare when you actually see a group that says, no, actually, this is like community development is what we why we existed. You know, many most credit unions history, they all were uh, they were all were founded because there was some community 
that was economically disenfranchised, that was being cut out of, you know, either getting a mortgage or getting a loan. Uh, and they self-organized and, and they, you know, they, they got around the kitchen table and they solved them. That's definitely the Van City story of kitchen table to boardroom table over, you know, 75 years. But, uh, you know, I think fundamentally trying to hold on to that route has been a, a really important part. And, and also, you know, at the end of the day, leadership matters, right? You know, if you don't, uh, if you don't have that C-suite uh, buy-in and mentality and consistency, I think as a result, our board's willingness to say, that's actually something we're going to recruit for, you know, like we're, they're not, you know, you could be an incredible CEO, but if you don't actually care about that Man City yeah. DNA, then you're never going to get that job, right? And I, and I think that's a, an important part of holding true to that. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. And I, I also think just by nature of being a certified B Corp, that protects the uh, the leadership discussion. So let, let's say you ended up getting a board that wasn't totally as in line with the current values. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's one of the actual functional uh, benefits of being B Corp certified for organizations like this, where different ownership groups and leadership groups can uh, kind of ebb and flow. Uh, the mission of the of the company just stays uh, as is, you know, and, uh, I, I always admired, uh, Ben and Jerry's story before they, they sold to Unilever. Mm. They, if I remember correctly, they weren't a B Corp, but when they started figuring out that they were going to sell, they became a B Corp for that very reason, knowing that the values of that company that they, they worked so hard on building, uh, would remain, uh, after an acquisition. So, uh, I think, I think that's, that, that's really, interesting too. And also to see banking, the banking world jumping into this, this space is, uh, and you guys have been doing it forever, but like, it's, uh, it's, it's a growing movement. It's certainly in the B Corp space. We're seeing more and more credit unions and, 100%. Uh, and, and, and even other smaller banks, uh, going that road. So that's, that's awesome. Um, one of the questions I think we touched on earlier, but like smaller companies like, uh, mm. across this country, uh, not startups, but you even look at our our company, Hemings House and Vision Coaching for Dave. Um, is 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 there opportunities there for day to day? And I know there is because you and I have already talked about it. But uh, uh, let's talk to that sort of smaller company potential and uh, what some of the benefits are uh, of of considering working with you uh, instead of just going into the into the bank that they're they're currently using. Well, th- thanks, Jerry. I mean, don't 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 feel like you have to, you know, uh, softball softball me the ability to sales pitch or anything. And I, I won't. Well, that that's what it. we're here for. <laughs> I won't I won't try to make that too salesy. But um, you know, I I think that you know on our end, really, what we've been trying to say is, are there ways that we can build a really kind of like partnered relationship 
that is going to you know provide organizations a bit of that that platform for growth you know we're by by mandate and, and just you know by being a, a federally regulated bank you know we're never we're never going to be able to be the kind of like risk capital provider you know we're not going to be able to be like an equity investor or a uh even like a necessarily like a bdc but we we do have this ability to definitely flex outside of the the, the conventional balance of what say an rbc would require and part of that is actually just getting really comfortable with the difference between between kind of perceived and real risks, right? Um, there's often a pretty big gap between, uh, you know, on the face of it, uh, what what you kind of perceive of as a smaller company, and then really understanding the dynamics of their business. So that's one, you know, key piece is just actually spending the time. And I think we're willing and able to do that in part because of that ownership structure. Like we 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 definitely absolutely need to be uh, you know viable and 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 uh, profitable as an organization to be sustainable. But you know our our whole ownership structure is ultimately owned by credit union members out, out west, and and you know that that means that you know I think we have a bit more uh, ability to uh, you know spend the time and and kind of staff cost that that implies to be able to work with a wide variety of organizations. Um, there are some interesting things that we've uh, you know recently implemented given our, our mandate as well. Like we we've recently approved a, a growth lending allocation as an example that specifically is targeted organizations that have strong IP, um, you know, reasonable market traction, but are still at that point when actually maybe they're, you know, in between a series A round and a series B round or those kind of things in a, in a more of a venture landscape where they're not going to get uh, conventional bank debt, but it's really expensive for them just to keep raising equity um, and, and where we can you know, potentially be providing a solution. So, you know, tangibly, um, you know, we're, we're a digital first bank and we, we engage with organizations uh, already a bit across the country um, and, are, and are trying to do so more. Uh, but, you know, practically it's knowing that you have this a values-based financial institution partner that's willing to spend the time because we care about the mission in a way that is beyond just lip service, right? And, and we're actually really trying to find ways to help clients succeed. Clearly uh, passionate about what you do, Lars. And um, I'm, you, you spoke about recruiting earlier. I'm, I'm kind of curious about your, your personal story. How'd you, how'd you end up at Van City? And like, what was that process like? Because it sounds like you've found your you know, a way you can really express your values, your personal values this is my guess. I could be wrong. Mm. Um, in a way that you don't typically hear from, you know, kind of someone in your space. Yeah, good question. Well, well I mean, it might surprise you, but I'm really red in tooth and claw. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I actually, I don't come to uh, this work from a traditional uh, banking background, but certainly feel privileged to uh, be able to, you know, show up at an institution like Fancy every day. Um, my my history is actually more in the Canadian uh, kind of social finance and impact investing space, where uh, often in more kind of private market settings, uh, organizations and institutions have been trying to find ways to you know in, invest and deploy capital where alongside a financial return you really are seeing those tangible social environmental benefits. And it's part of why I was interested in in joining with the bank was to help build out some of that institutional capacity for this space going forward. I, I'd had the, uh, the the privilege and power roles to do a lot of uh, kind of consulting and advisory work with asset owners. Often they were like things like philanthropic endowments, some family offices uh, where they were making these private investments and, and we're doing so, but often with things like, uh, you know, say it was a private equity fund or maybe it was a direct loan or things like that, which is 
which was powerful and impactful. But what the what it what it demonstrated, what it illustrated for me was that there really wasn't a lot of uh, you know, mainstream institutional capacity in Canada to to be able to do that, particularly at scale. So you know, it was it was clear how you'd accomplish uh, you know a, a single transaction in a, in a in a given community. But then when you start saying, okay, well things like climate or things like the affordability crisis or other things like, you know, these are, these are macro challenges where you actually need systemic infrastructure to move lots of funding at scale. If we're going to make a real dent, um, then, you know, you do actually need institutions like banks involved. So that, that, that was definitely a, a big part of what, you know, motivated me. Um, but I had a, you know, an interesting story. My background is actually in, uh, in climate activism way back when, uh, and, and doing kind of climate policy, work, uh, briefly got a little bit of solution with that, to be honest, and started trying to say, but, but did give me exposure of, of how uh, capital markets really shape uh, the kind of economies that get built out. And so, uh, you know, turned my attention a bit more domestically, uh, started getting engaged more in the responsible investment space before then really getting really kind of fully engaged on the, the impact investing community and, and have been able to spend my, uh, my career so far really deeply enmeshed in, in that space. That, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, just, you know, just in the small, in the short time we've been talking, I was like thinking this, this is not, this is not your traditional kind of banker. Um, so th- to hear that background is, is, is helpful. Do you, was there any um, blowback from your, you know, if you go back to your climate activist days when, mm. when you came into this space and, um, cause you know, it might not be fully understood what you're doing. Um, and it might, might on the, on the surface sound like, I don't know. I, and again, I mean, this is no zero judgment. I think what you're doing is awesome, but I, you see like Greg, remember doing some films and you got some blowback from people on, on environmental issues and didn't you Greg, I mean, or, or something, I can't remember. You, we, you, we, we, we got hired to do some films on something that looked like we were, uh, pro industry that wanted to exploit the, uh, the lands. Hmm. Uh, it was misinterpreted. However, yeah, yeah. Again, like like I said, misinterpreted. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious about that too. Yeah. Uh, no. And, and 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 I'm sorry. Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> but I, but I just remember you. You know that you, you really that was a challenging time for you because mm-hmm. you know it was it was the people weren't fully informed and and there was I my sense of it yeah. was there's some arrows being slung. You you didn't say that, but that was just my my sense of it. I just anyways, I just wonder, Lars, if you run across anything like that because you know, when we're trying to do good things, often people don't recognize it that way for whatever reason. And we have to kind of push through that. I don't know if you had any of that experience. Yeah, I, I think so. Certainly one thing I have experienced and I don't, and I don't actually think it's, it's unfair either is, you know, I do think there does need to be a really healthy skepticism of, you know, the, the kind of the, the limits of what can be accomplished kind of purely through financial means and financial instruments and, and, you know, that, that as a tool to support or drive change, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like I, I, as an example, just concretely, uh, like I get um, impact investing in particular is a very uh, uh, kind of like hot topic right now, particularly on business schools and things like that. And so I, I get approached very regularly by uh, either current or, or upcoming graduates saying, you know, how did you get started? And how do you, you know, how do you advise someone to get involved in this space? And it's funny because I'm, you know, as uh, start, my, my partner keeps commenting, I'm starting to go gray, but I, I haven't yet. So I'm, I'm not that aged into it. And, um, and, and practically, uh, you know, I often tell them, look, for every like one person 
that works in, in impact investing or social finance, like you need pick a multiple, but maybe it's 20 people, maybe it's 40 people uh, like actively doing the work. Because if I'm, if I'm at my most humble, I would say, you know, banking and finance, we're glorified plumbing. You know, we're, we're trying to <laughs> direct capital flows to productive places and, and do so in a risk managed way. But, you know, other than that, like, you know, the, uh, most of the actual leadership, the actual kind of incremental instrumental driving of change is really at that like entrepreneurial venture level at that business leader level, uh, much more so than just the resource supply that, that, you know, comes on the finance side. And, you know, practically you can't, push on a string, you know, just handing someone uh, resources to do something won't uh, change things if there isn't that will to do so. And so uh, I think, you know, one thing I've often advised is I wish a lot of that kind of passionate interest in, in impact investing was actually, you know, more redirected to things like social entrepreneurship and saying, hey, you know, we actually have a problem actually in our whole economy around the financialization of the economy. Way too much of the economy is, is you know, people trading paper and, and, and making money as opposed to that real economy of, mm. of uh, what that actually looks like on, on the main street. And so um, I, I will say, particularly from uh, having come from more of that background and, and thankfully still having the, the privilege to engage with, you know, really progressive communities, um, I would say there, there definitely sometimes is this kind of this pushback and skepticism, uh, which I don't think is totally unfair. It, that just needs to be kind of tempered with a realism around uh, around you know some of the limits of this work and and practically you know I, I would say there's an interface with a lot of our work and even as an example the work of of the government which definitely lately at least on some themes like climate has been has been driving really significant change so concrete examples like you know there's lots of uh, clean energy transactions that we finance that just it, it would they wouldn't exist they wouldn't be viable if you didn't have a government that said you know these are the rules of the game that they're now creating around things like carbon taxations or clean fuel standards or, or things like that so you know th there's still this fundamental policy role in terms of shaping the rules of market such that they directionally are pointing towards goals that we can all share around sustainability and, and, and inequality as an example. Um, and, and yeah, you're not, you're not going to solve that with, you know, actors in the market or, or, or progressive bankers or things like yeah. that. Well, and, and just that realization of, uh, I mean, you're, you know, the complexity around surrounding it, right. Where you need good policy and you need, you know, institutions are going to support it, leadership. You need the knowledge of, of whatever that, that impact's going to be. I mean, it's it, it as you describe it. it there's a, you know you can start to recognize this. It's it, it, there is a lot of complexity there. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and yes, yeah, so it's for a reason. I'd say I've definitely heard uh, criticisms, and I and I I don't disagree entirely with all of them. And it's just a you know it's it's one of those classic moderation questions where it's like you kind of need a bit of everything in balance because uh, definitely. Uh, we, we won't solve these issues just through more impact investing. We're going to need lots and lots of uh, talent and initiative across that whole value chain. That's awesome. Lars, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that. It's, uh, it's inspiring. Uh, it's certainly the most inspiring uh, banking uh, interview we've had, Dave, eh? I think so. Well, I, I should be careful saying that because we have had, we've had our friends from BDC on here as well. Listen, any, any before <laughs> bank that we've talked to. <laughs> Well, um, and, and we've had we've had impact <laughs> investing, uh, you know, kind of managers come on, and and I'm always fascinated because I don't, to be honest, I don't, I don't, I need to know a lot more about some of these 
uh, financial levers. And, and I, I'm always impressed by hearing, you know, people that, that don't have just that experience like you, Lars. So that's, that's to, to, bring, to, to bring that together is really very cool. Um, how do people get in touch with you if they have, if they have questions or um, they want to, you know, be a customer, for example? For sure. Well, definitely feel free to visit our, 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 our website, which continues to get better and better, uh, which is just uh, vcib.ca. It's the initials of the company, Van City Community Investment Bank, uh, .ca. Um, and then uh, similarly, feel free uh, as well. I'm always, uh, personally, I'm happy to connect with folks via LinkedIn um, if, if people want to reach out and find me there uh, at Lars Bongfield. Awesome. Lars, thank you so much, my friend, and uh, enjoy the rest of that beautiful autumn day that you are lakeside. And, uh, <laughs> and Lars, but, uh, you, you might, I would point out that you noticed that Greg didn't say your last name once after asking you how to Yeah, 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 yeah. Lars Bogguild. Oh, there uh, everybody. B-O-G-G-I-L-D on LinkedIn. And uh, make sure you make a connection. And, <laughs> and Lars, if you do uh, make your way back to New Brunswick for a visit, uh, make sure you come down to St. John's and, uh, and hang out with Dave and I for a bit. Will do. Thanks very much, Greg, and pleasure to meet you, Dave. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Lars. Take care. Cheers. Take care, guys. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and remember, keep that pot boiling. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.